Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams, and I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, come hang out with us. Our Sunday service is at 1030. You can learn more about the church by visiting our website, and it's very, very easy. The name of the church is Calvary 316. It's .com, .org, .net, .tv, Fill in the blank, and you're going to find us, or just Google the name, uh, and it comes up. With all that being said, regardless of where you're listening, I do hope that you stay with me over the next hour, as I seek to do something I think is very important and that our culture needs, and that is deconstruct the negative perception the world has that Christians have their heads stuck in the sand, that we're prudes, that we don't discuss things that are relevant, that we're fuddy-duddies, out of touch. Christians... And we live in a real world dealing with real issues, and thus we need to talk about things in an honest and a genuine way. Not everything you hear on this show you're going to agree with. As a result, we're not monolithic in thought as Christians. We're free to think and be different and reach different conclusions about various topics. With that being said, it's one of the big reasons uh, our show wants to hear from you, the listening audience. If you, there's a question you want to ask or something you want to challenge, uh, again, you don't have to agree with me. That's the beauty of this. This is one man's show, one man's opinion. Uh, it is, by the way, an opinion that gets filtered through my producer. His name is Josh Brown, and that's a very important component. There are times that uh, I will say something, and Josh comes back in the editing process and is like, bro, uh, you can't say that. And 99% of the time he's right. Uh, 100% of the time uh, I go with, uh, with his opinion on these things, and that's why he's a fantastic producer. But we do want to hear from you. If you want to challenge something, that's great. A couple ways you can reach out to us. Our website, the show, it's outlawradio.org. Again, very easy to find, outlawradio.org. Uh, you can access our podcast. It's available on iTunes, Google Play. Uh, also, our email address, info at outlawradio.org. Our Twitter handle at radio underscore outlaw. And then we're on facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. A bunch of easy ways, a bunch of good stuff, easy ways to get in touch. Uh, today, I want to talk about something very near and dear to my heart. And that is uh, something that I think is uh, unique historically to our time period concerning the church. And is something um, that, well, let me say this the nicest way possible. Jesus finds disgusting about the church. Again, the church is his. Uh, we are his bride. He is the groom. Uh, and yet not every church is equal and not everything the church does uh, Jesus approves of. And I think that there is uh, an entire wave, a movement, uh, a way of doing church in our current climate uh, that Jesus is disgusted by, and I want to talk about that, lukewarmness. Now, the book of Revelation, it's often known for its prophetic elements. As a matter of fact, if I mention the book of Revelation, first things that come to your mind uh, are going to be end times, the apocalypse, um, the antichrist, 666, uh, end times prophecy, you probably think about the left behind books and the rapture. And it's true, the book of Revelation is known largely for its prophetic elements because there are many. And yet, what's interesting about the book of Revelation is that some of the most radical and, for that matter, relevant passages in all of the Bible are recorded for us in the book of Revelation, specifically the first four chapters, which have very little to do with end times prophecy. 
In fact, in, in Revelation chapter 1, John, the apostle who uh, scribes the book of Revelation, he, he receives this heavenly vision of none other than the resurrected Jesus. Jesus presented in his heavenly glory. In addition to seeing Jesus in such a, a present way, he also sees Jesus' activity as being presently evaluating, critiquing his earthly church. Jesus, as the great high priest, walking in the midst of what John sees, these seven golden lampstands. Beyond that, in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, we have recorded for us seven letters that Jesus dictates to John to be delivered to seven different churches located in a region known as Asia Minor or present-day Turkey, which is, again, an amazing thing. Jesus dictating to John seven letters. These are the actual letters, the words of Jesus. Amazing. Now, aside from the personal application we could all draw from Jesus' words, what makes these seven letters so interesting is that Jesus is doing something fascinating. Yes, he is literally writing to a church, a specific local church in Asia Minor, in a city in the first century. Beyond that, he, he's, he's speaking to all of us. There is a personal application for, for all of the exhortations, the rebukes, the criticisms for Jesus' words. But ultimately, it's my belief, and many scholars agree with this, that in writing to seven churches, Jesus is ultimately writing and addressing seven different movements within church history. That Yes, he's writing to seven local churches in the first century, but that these local churches he selects because they become representative of larger movements we see within church history. Now, though the first three of these such church movements have largely come and gone, the letter to Ephesus represented the post-apostolic church that second generation of believers. Jesus' letter to the, the church located in Smyrna addressed the persecuted church that we see in the second and third centuries. His letter to the, the ancient city of Pergamos there in Asia Minor is Jesus' is critique, his criticism of what we would call the Byzantine or, or the state church. What's interesting, though, is while these first three Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamos have largely come and gone, those movements within church history. The final four, I believe, are very active today. You see, you have the letter to Thyatira, representing, critiquing, criticizing, exhorting, well, the Roman Catholic Church, Roman Catholicism. His letter to the church of Sardis epitomized the Reformation, Protestantism, Jesus' letter to the Church of Brotherly Love, the Church of Philadelphia, the faithful church, it embodied the missional church that we see emerging in the 19th and 20th century, where the gospel is being taken into the far reaches of the earth. Lastly, though, the, the seventh and final church, seventh and final letter, is written to, again, a local church in an ancient town known as Laodicea. And it's that final movement that I think typifies a more recent church phenomenon. Now, with our time today, I want to take some time and unpack, to the best of my ability, what Jesus says to the seventh and final church, because it is, it is very relevant to you and I today. Now, historically, we know the city of Laodicea 
and this will all play out as we get into the letter itself, but the, the city of Laodicea was located about 40 miles south of Philadelphia and some 100 miles east of Ephesus. Again, we're in present-day Turkey. The city itself was well-known throughout the world for really two important exports. Laodicea was known for exporting black wool that was largely used for clothing, as well as a powder that was used to treat eye infections, similar to the one the Apostle Paul was inflicted with. Because Laodicea was also located on an important trade route, which minimized the overhead of these exports, the residents, the citizenry of Laodicea, well, they were very rich. Just one of, well, really many examples of the wealth of Laodicea. Uh, an example is in 60 AD. See, Laodicea experienced an earthquake, an earthquake that actually destroyed the city itself. Now, Nero, who was the emperor at the time, offered Laodicea financial assistance, but the residents declined Roman money because they knew strings were attached, choosing instead to rebuild the city using their own resources, which was really unheard of in that day. Aside from this, what's really interesting about Laodicea is that it was a part of a tri-city water arrangement. You had Colossae, 11 miles west, and Heropolis, 6 miles south. Laodicea, you see, had no natural aquifier. She was completely dependent on two separate aqueducts from these other cities to bring water to her. As far as the formation of the church in Laodicea, it would appear she was founded by the Apostle Paul, which is really kind of cool. And according to Colossians 4, verse 15, originally met in the home of a man named Nephus, four times, in fact, in his letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul will mention the brethren in Laodicea, as well as the church that was located in, in the other city in this tri-city arrangement, the church in Heropolis. According to Colossians 4, verse 16, seems that Paul had even written a letter to the Laodiceans. You might call it the epistle to the Laodiceans, something we don't have, that was circulated throughout these cities in its, in its, in its day. Well, it appears this Laodicean church began strong. I mean, you were founded by none other than the Apostle Paul. The, the sad thing about the church is that historically, it would appear by the end of the first century when Jesus is writing to her, that this church had fallen from her origins. In fact, in Jesus' letter to this church, the seventh letter, the church of Laodicea, the letter recorded at the end of Revelation 3, most notably, Jesus has absolutely nothing commendable to say of her, nothing good. In every letter, Jesus will have something to commend the church for, but not with Laodicea. In fact, in many ways, Jesus' extensive criticisms would tag Laodicea, this last movement within the church, as kind of an anti-Philadelphia. Church of Philadelphia was known by its faithfulness. This church, conversely, presented the characteristics of an unfaithful church. Now, before we get to the text that we're going to look at today, I want to take a few minutes and establish the historical context for the development of the Church of Laodicea in our present day. Again, as mentioned, when you're examining these letters, seven letters written to seven literal churches, no doubt a message applying to all churches, 
and yet Jesus writing to movements within church history. Now, as the missional church, and to establish some context, the missional church, again, is the 18th, 19th century faithful church. It's represented by, by the, the Church of Philadelphia, the missional church, the missionaries being sent across the world as they continued to preach the word of God. Jesus commending her for having little, but, but, but doing a lot with it. Preaching the word of God, a return, a revival, sending missionaries equipped with the gospel across the world. Again, the missional church, the Church of Philadelphia, an incredible church, being faithful to, to the commands and the commissions of God. The problem is, is that once you move from the 18th and 19th centuries, represented by the Church of Philadelphia, into the 20th century, not only do we find that the world changed, but the church, by really extension, changed as well in three dramatic ways. It was challenged in three dramatic ways. Let's just, before we reach a break, start with kind of the first big challenge that the, the church experienced in the 20th century. For starters, what happened in the 20th century? Well, you had the human horrors and atrocities witnessed by two world wars. Two world wars, by the way, that yielded approximately 100 million casualties, coupled with brutal and seemingly pointless conflicts also taking place in the 20th century in Vietnam and Korea. You see, what happened is this produced several generations of Western men that were completely disillusioned when it came to matters of God, spirituality, and the church. We're running against a break. Don't go anywhere. We'll pick up that thought more with the Outlaw Radio Show. One of the most important visions of the Outlaw Radio Show is our desire to challenge you to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on your own. The sad reality is many Christians fail to reflect Christ because they don't know what they believe or why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to the Outlaw Radio Show tackling tough topics you might not hear at church, it is our desire to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this important process, we want you to check out blueletterbible.org. It would be an understatement to say that this website will transform the way you study the Bible. In fact, it will revolutionize it. Aside from their treasure trove of free online commentaries, blueletterbible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it super simple to dive into the original language behind a text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of scripture and in the process, learn and grow, we encourage you to check out blueletterbible.org today. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm talking about something relevant to today and emblematic about church culture, something that's happening in our church that Jesus doesn't like. In the Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus writes seven letters to literal churches, applicable to all churches, but also typifying seven movements within church history. The seventh and final is the letter to the church of Laodicea. And this comes off of his letter to the church of Philadelphia, which had a lot of compliments, very complimentary. Now, Philadelphia represented the missional church of the 18th and 19th century, Laodicea representing something that followed. Now, to be fair to the church, 
18th, 19th century, cool. 20th century, big problems. I mean, the world changed, and these changes challenged the church. The, the first is you had the world wars, World War I, World War II. You had the, the, the conflicts in Vietnam and Korea. We closed the last block by pointing out that the church was faced with reaching and dealing with generations of, of Western men who through war had become disillusioned when it came to matters of God and spirituality and, and really the church. A lot of these men came back from war and wanted nothing to do with God. And so in an attempt to deal with the fallout of this rapidly changing post-Christian culture, what did the church end up doing? Well, historically we understand, looking back over the last hundred years, the church started to convolute her purpose by becoming politically and socially active. Like, sadly, over the last hundred years, the evangelical church in the West has become known more for what she's against than what she's actually for. And I'll give you just one example of this. Prohibition. When men came home from World War I in particular, they found that the church was more interested and telling them what they could or could not drink than seeking to deal with their genuine spiritual needs. And by the way, World War I was brutal. All kinds of treaties came out of this because of just the use of, of, of gas. What you had is you had evangelists, well-intentioned men like Billy Sunday, who railed against alcohol without ever really speaking to the deeper spiritual wounds that were driving so many men in that society to a destructive lifestyle. The strategy, it was, it was sincere, but it ended up turning a lot of people off to Christianity and alienated a lot of men. Aside from this, the other challenge would arise as secular progressives began to, to use science to attack the reliability of Scripture. The, the problems the church was facing, you had three fronts— the church became social, politically active. You had men disillusioned because of war. But then you also had science attacking the reliability of the Bible, another big challenge. In 1925, a court case heard in a little town of Dayton, Tennessee, it would be thrust into the national spotlight. What's known as the State of Tennessee versus John Thomas Scopes, or what's commonly referred to as the Scopes Monkey Trial, it would pit the Bible and science against each other. <laughs> And if you go back and if you study the Scopes Monkey Trial, the arguments that were presented by the Christian prosecu prosecutors, those who were supposed to be defending a biblical view, like their arguments for a literal understanding of the Bible were so poorly constructed that not only would they lose, but the theory of evolution would gain credibility and the reliability of Scripture would wane in public opinion polls. You see, in the end, these things and other developments would create a framework by which the philosophy of relativism would seep deep into the American mainstream, our society, our academia. With no moral truth giver, mankind was now left to ascertain whether anything was true at all, relativism ultimately being nothing more than the bridge to nihilism. If everything is true then nothing is true, and what's the point? You see, the challenge facing the church in the 20th century, it was simple and clear. How do you reach a culture of people disillusioned with God because of war 
alienated by the church's political activism, how do you reach a culture of people that, in addition to those two things, are no longer even confident in the fundamental view of the Bible, that the Bible can even be trusted to mean what it says? And in response to this, again, historically, the hindsight of, of uh, you know, the 2020 benefits of, of hindsight, two approaches emerged to, to deal with this culture. First, the Church of Philadelphia continued. It didn't end in the 19th century. It continued. As a matter of fact, this church, it, it remained faithful in much the same way that you have uh, the Roman Catholic Church of Thyatira continuing and, and Protestantism continuing, the Reformation continuing. The Church of Philadelphia remains, and she remains faithful to her mission. How so? Well, there was a threat of Christianity in the 20th century in light of these problems that continued to preach the gospel, that continued to faithfully teach God's word, that was faithful to reach the lost through missions and evangelism. In fact, one such example, I think, of the Church of Philadelphia would be a movement like Calvary Chapel, who in the late 60s and early 70s intentionally rejected church traditionalism by modernizing its style. Why? To reach a changing culture. Men like Pastor Chuck Smith dropped the uber-pretentiousness of denominationalism by encouraging hippies to come to church as they were. You don't have to wear a suit and tie. And to worship in a way that was relevant. Modern Christian music, modern music is, was incorporated into, into worship. Bringing the changeless gospel into a changing word, world was the motto. These church leaders emphasized God's grace, a dependency on the Holy Spirit, the expositional teaching of the Bible. Pastor Chuck, his motto was to simply teach God's word simply. And to that I'd say amen and amen. And amen. And the truth is that this approach, this approach of reaching this counterculture, it resonated for people that were deeply longing for uh, the truth. And yet, while you still had the Church of Philadelphia active, the sad thing is that another approach would eventually gain steam in in the later part of the 20th century. Again, the problem is that society was leaving church for various reasons. How do we get them back? Well, if the Protestant Reformation's problem was that they had a theology over reaching people, and the missional church's success was this balance of theology and reaching people, the Church of Laodicea has erred by tragically emphasizing reaching people over theology. Like in its historical context, it's easy to see how this would happen, all things considering. Now, whether you call this particular approach what I think Laodicea represents, the seeker friendly movement, or in more modern terms, the attractional church model, leaders of these things, of these movements, of these churches, of this particular strategy, they intentionally sought to create a church and a culture that was designed to be inviting, accepting, entertaining, and appealing, not to a Christian, but to an unbeliever. One of the most recognizable names of of these movements, of the attractional church model, one of the most successful, mega church pastor, hails from my backyard, Andy Stanley, 
literally boasts that the goal of his church is to be church for the unchurched, as if that was God's vision for his church. Now, to be fair, these church models, the church of Laodicea, with high-tech, slick marketing, they've been successful. Well, depending on how you judge success, but they've been definitely successful, wildly successful, at at least attracting crowds. And to attract a crowd, they have created a non-threatening environment where a sinner can feel comfortable. And to do this, they have abandoned Bible teaching and definitely minimized doctrinal absolutes. In fact, as part of this model of doing church, the difficult concepts that you can't avoid if you teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, difficult concepts like sin, hell, eternal judgment, you will rarely, if ever, hear coming from their pulpits They're avoided on purpose because, well, they're not very palatable. Now, I don't want to be audacious enough to say that Jesus' letter to the church of Laodicea is solely pertinent to only the seeker-friendly movement or the attractional church model. I think its applications are probably much more far-reaching than that. And yet, there is no doubt, no question that the criticism we find in Jesus' letter to the church of Laodicea is profoundly applicable. You see, our purpose is not to call out a specific church, but to remind ourselves instead what type of church well, we need to be, that Jesus has called us to be, by examining the characteristics of a church that well, Jesus finds detestable. The minute we have left, let me read this letter to the church of Laodicea. We read Revelation 3, verse 14, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, says the Amen. This is Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, that your eyes might be anointed with salve, that you may see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hey, this is Josh. You're listening to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. He's tackling an important question today right from the book of Revelation, the church in Ephesus. What does it mean to be lukewarm? Zach talked a little bit about modern church growth movements, even some specific people, Andy Stanley, namely there in Georgia. Don't go anywhere. Come back for part two of the Outlaw Radio Show. Pastor Zach is going to continue to unpack what it means to be lukewarm. Vomiting is not something we really want to talk about, 
But today, Pastor Zach is talking about Jesus' response to the lukewarm church. Here's Zach with more. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about the lukewarm church. This letter Jesus writes to the church of Laodicea, having a particular application and relevance to the church movements of seeker-friendlyism, the attractional church model. We closed the previous block by reading Jesus' letter to this church. If you missed it, you can go to our podcast. It's available iTunes, Google Play, quick links at outlawradio.org. You can listen to the first part of this episode in its entirety, or really anything that we've ever done in its entirety. But I want to say in kind of a transition, the first thing as you read this letter, you notice about the church of Laodicea was that while she was active, I mean, this church was doing things. The tragedy is that she lacked a distinction. Again, in Revelation 3, verse 15, this is what Jesus says. Verses 15 and 16, he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. And then Jesus kind of concludes, you are lukewarm. Now, in this initial criticism, Jesus uses an illustration that the citizens of Laodicea would have clearly understood. I mentioned this in the very first block of the show, but the city of Laodicea was dependent on a tri-city water arrangement. The city, because it had no water in itself, was dependent on two separate aqueducts to pipe water in from Colossae and Heropolis. And interestingly enough, by the time the cold water that originated in the higher elevations of Colossae and the hot water that began in the hot springs of Heropolis, by the time the water reached Laodicea, the water was characteristically, well, you can guess it, lukewarm. Because of the distance that the water had to travel to get to the city, from each locale, what had initially began as either piping hot or freezing cold leveled off to room temperature. It leveled off to the temperature, and this is important, of its surroundings. In a sense, the water was neither hot, nor was it any longer cold. It was simply, yeah, lukewarm. You go to Starbucks. You know what? Scratch that. I hate Starbucks. You go to Dunkin' Donut. I'm more of a Dunkin' guy. They offer coffee in two varieties, right? Hot coffee or cold coffee, iced coffee. You know what they never offer? Lukewarm coffee because it's gross. Coffee's great hot. It's great cold. It's terrible lukewarm. Tragically, what this tells us about the church of Laodicea is that largely she was going through the motions. Spiritually speaking, they possess no real zeal for holiness, no heart for righteous living, no passion to truly follow Jesus, to be his witnesses in the world. The Laodiceans, yes, it's, it's, to be fair, they weren't full-blown heathens or overtly worldly, cold. But they also weren't fully committed to Jesus and his blueprint for the church or hot. You might say this church modeled what many of, what many of us refer to as cultural Christianity. You know, when a person claims to be a Christian simply because they they go to church, which, by the way, if you live in a garage, that no more makes you a car. Or a doghouse makes you a dog. You see, for these people, Christianity gets relegated down to a one-day activity and not a weekly lifestyle. Spiritual life, things like worship or or the study of God's Word, prayer, become compartmentalized in cultural Christianity to a Sunday morning church experience. 
you know, in many ways, the Laodiceans, they were church fence sitters. They had enough church to feel morally superior and good about themselves, but they had too much of the world to really reap the benefits of a genuine relationship with Jesus. Their spiritual lives, you might say, were tepid. Their spiritual indifference had spawned spiritual compromise. The brutal reality is there was nothing about this church, Laodicea, that differentiated them from the world around them. In their honest attempt to be relevant with the world, they had sacrificed the very things that made them distinct from the world. They'd lost their flavor, their uniqueness. Before I I continue, just in in a way of personal application, what about your life looks different than your unbelieving friends? The seeker-friendly methodology. You know, it, it intended to create an environment hoping to reach the lost. That was the goal. A, a group of people, a culture leaving church, the attractional church model hoped to appeal to them, bring them back, which, again, is in and of itself totally noble. However, the tactic, sadly, though, fosters, in an environment to reach the lost, it also fosters the perfect conditions for something terrible. It fosters conditions where a spiritually compromised believer can go, attend church, satisfy the need to feel spiritual without ever being challenged to be spiritual. (laughs) Lukewarmness thrives in such a circumstance. You know, it's incredible to consider that Jesus would even go so far as to prefer that this church be cold than to remain in this lukewarm condition. He says, I I wish you were hot or cold. And why was that the case? Well, unlike those hostile to the things of God, spiritual indifference has the tendency to lull someone into a false sense of their own spiritual security. We see this a lot by those within the seeker-friendly movement. You know, the second thing we should note about the Church of Laodicea and what she represents is that she was characterized by self-deception. This ties into the first. Jesus says in verse 17, he says, You say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, the alarming thing about this church was the real disconnect between what they believed God thought of them and the reality of what God actually thought of them. You say, you do not know. (laughs) In a sense, they're delusional. Because they were falsely equating material prosperity as being the evidence of spiritual blessing or their numerical growth as the evidence of spiritual blessing. This church had reached the false conclusion that God was pleased with them when in actuality, he was deeply sickened. It's a terrible place to be. You see, while the Laodiceans generally believed that they were spiritual and effective because they were rich, abounding in resources, wealthy, richly supplied, in need of nothing, literally in need of no one, Jesus is clear. They're actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Sadly, I believe many churches today are equally self-deceived. They'll point, and you find this within the attractional church model within seeker-friendlyism, they'll point to large attendance numbers, vast financial resources as the evidence of a successful ministry. But they fail to recognize that neither of those two things 
are the metrics that Jesus uses when evaluating his church. Like consider that Jesus found the church of Smyrna, a church extremely poor, and the church of Philadelphia, a church with very little strength, much more commendable than he does the church of Laodicea, a church that was rich and without need. So they were self-deceived. Thirdly, the church of Laodicea was biblically ignorant. Please notice one of the core components of Jesus' criticism that explain why these Laodiceans were so self-deceived and off in their assessment. He says, you say and do not know. Now, that's an interesting coupling. While it's true the church was delusional as to the true nature of their spiritual condition, in fact, they were bankrupt, how had such a false perception of themselves become fostered? How did they become so self-deceived? I hope you know when it comes to Christianity, Christian beliefs, your spiritual condition, how you live a life of godliness, how the church should function, and the way in which believers should reach the lost, what you say about these things doesn't matter. It doesn't. Oh, we've got such, such grand uh, theories. We've got uh, really well thought out strategies. It doesn't matter what you say about these things for when it's all said and done, the only thing that matters at all is what Jesus says about such things. Oh, well, we have this strategy. Yeah, it's not totally biblical, but man, we're reaching a lot of people. Who cares? If it's in contrast or contradictory to what Jesus says. Like, this is why, and again, that ties into the, well, the ends justify the means. Not in the Bible, because Jesus finds such a thing disgusting. This is why, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm beating a dead horse, a horse dead, but it's important the church teach the Bible, not from the Bible, but the Bible, so that they can't avoid topics that, well, they want to avoid. And the reason that attending a church that teaches the Bible faithfully is important is that when a church does this, she can't become susceptible to self-deception. Nor can you. See, the Laodiceans believed their physical riches were to be seen as evidence of spiritual favor when that position had no scriptural bearing. They did not know why. They didn't have biblical knowledge. Here's a truth you'd be wise to never forget. Because the Bible is totally honest about your spiritual condition, it's the only place you can get a proper assessment of yourself. And what does the Bible say about you? Well, apart from Jesus and his work on the cross and his grace, you're miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. It's one of the main reasons the Bible you won't find taught in many seeker-friendly churches. Again, if this topic resonates with you, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, info at outlawradio.org, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw, or our Twitter handle at radio underscore outlaw. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with the Outlaw Radio Show. Did you know beyond the unique content of the Outlaw Radio Show, Pastor Zach Adams also has an extensive teaching archive available online for free? If you love to study the Bible, we encourage you to check out c316.tv. Currently, Pastor Zach is teaching verse by verse through the Gospel of John, but c316.tv also has video, audio, and sermon notes for the Gospel of Mark, the Book of Acts, Ephesians, Genesis, Philemon, Jonah, Philippians, as well as an in-depth study on the Olivet Discourse and Jesus' seven letters to the churches recorded in Revelation 3 and 4. 
with over 17,000 minutes of expositional Bible teaching and more than 2,775 pages of written sermon transcripts, C316.tv is a must-visit for any serious student of the Bible. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. The Church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, seeker-friendlyism, the attractional church model, the things this letter represents, speaks to this church. We find that her problem, fundamentally, was that she first lacked a distinction. She wasn't distinct from the culture around her. Jesus says, because you were neither hot nor cold. She was like the world. We also see that she was self-deceived. She said of herself, I'm rich, but Jesus says you're poor. And we find that that self-deception manifested because they were biblically ignorant. Again, this is one of the reasons the Bible isn't taught in the attractional church model or seeker-friendly churches. is because what the Bible has to say about an unbeliever isn't very friendly. You see, for the unbeliever, the Bible in actuality, has very difficult and hard things to say. It's not friendly to the godless. You see, contrary to what the world has to say about such matters, well, the Bible's clear. God does not accept you the way that you are. I'll say it again. God does not accept you the way that you are. I don't care who you are. The way that you are is not cool. The status quo, not okay. In fact, God deliberately sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in order to transform you into someone completely different than what you are. If you're a believer, that's still relevant. You need to continue to change more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. God's plan is to change you into someone you're not. Aside from the fact attending a church that teaches the word not only protects you from self-deception, But you know, it's God's word that actively protects against this tendency towards spiritual indifference. I love one of my favorite Psalms, Psalms 1, the very first three verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, who least shall not wither, whatever he does shall prosper." I have found that it is virtually impossible to attend a church where you're taught God's word and still live a life of indifference and compromise. Again, at Calvary 316, we've kind of, well, we've been on a six-year experiment of teaching God's word. And yeah, not always does that draw a crowd, but I'll tell you what it always does. When you teach the Bible, it does one of two things always, 100% of the time, just give it time. The word of God, the teaching of God's word, will either drive a man or a woman in sin to repentance, or it will drive that man or woman away from the church. Again, why the Bible isn't taught in many seeker-friendly environments. It either draws you to the cross or it drives you away. The truth. It sets you free, or you blind your eyes and accept the lie. You know, we see from, from the text here, that this church of Laodicea, of all things, was self-centered. So much so, they were no longer Christ-focused. The Laodicean self-evaluation, their pride, it was rooted when they boasted, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. And yet Jesus says in verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. And in that, we have a very interesting picture. And I don't want you to miss this. 
This church was so self-consumed with what they had, what they were doing, that they were completely oblivious to the reality Jesus was actually on the outside wanting in. They were focused more on ministry resources than they were on Jesus. In the end, this church was more about them than it was about him. Isn't it interesting, so many seeker-friendly churches are also driven on a cult of personality, a man other than Jesus? You know, the word Laodicean, it's interesting because it's a combination of two words. It, it literally means the rights of the people. And in this church, the people ruled, and Jesus in his word took a back seat. In truth, the degree to which a church is man-centered, man-focused, will always be the degree to which that church is no longer Christ-centered and Jesus-focused. I should also add, in way of personal application, the degree to which you are me-centered will always have a direct correlation to the amount you're dependent on Jesus. Tragically, instead of asking Jesus what he wanted his church to be, how he wanted his church to reach the lost, what he found pleasing, these Laodiceans had devised their own model of church with the intention of reaching men by pleasing man. And in the end, Jesus' warning is severe. Chapter 3, verse 16, the book of Revelation, Jesus says, Of this church, unique to all the others, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The idea of vomit, it's the violent expulsion from the body of that which makes the body sick. And this type of ministry approach, this type of spiritual result found in the Laodicean church with the seeker-friendly model represents, it makes Jesus sick. You see, contrary to the popular opinion, nowhere in Scripture is the church called to be a hospital for the sick. Instead, the church is called to be a prepping center whereby believers are equipped to go into the world to care for the sick. You know, it was an old covenant model whereby the world came or were brought to a temple to encounter God. And yet in the new covenant design, Jesus established his temple in the hearts of men and women whom he then sent into the world to encounter and reach the lost. You see, what makes seeker-friendly models so disgusting to Jesus is that though it might yield a high conversion rate, it's making the church sick because the church is being derelict and fulfilling her God-given duties of teaching the Bible to equip the saints. She in turn creates a scenario whereby believers no longer need to do their job taking the gospel into the world. Let the church do it. You see, the church is not only failing to equip believers to fulfill the Great Commission, but in doing the church doing their job for them, she's fostering a lukewarm Christian environment, a culture. The simple fact is when a church focuses on reaching the lost instead of equipping saints to reach the lost, the body of the church becomes sick. She becomes ill. For a church to be healthy, the emphasis of that church, the service, it should be on equipping believers to fulfill their ministry in the world by teaching them God's word with the role of those saints then going into their world with a desire to reach the lost with the great news of Jesus Christ, with the antidote. You know, it should be noted that Jesus, after so many difficult criticisms, he closes his, his, his letter saying, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. It's amazing. Jesus was knocking on the door of this church. He's saying, let me in. Guys, I want you to know churches need to keep the main thing the main thing and it's not reaching the lost but equipping saints to reach the lost 
our heart should be pleasing Jesus with how we do church more than pleasing men to reach man. Amazing. Of all the criticisms, Jesus still left this church with glorious promises of what he would do if they would repent, if they would come back. You know, this is a healthy reminder of what kind of church we should be by looking at the type of church Jesus doesn't want us to be, what he finds to be disgusting. The application for each of us is real. You know, a lukewarm church can only exist when the people who make up that church are themselves lukewarm Christians. Oh man, I could take an entire another episode to continue this line of, of, of thought, but we're running against the end of the show. And so I want you to know that if you liked what you heard, if you didn't like what you heard, regardless, be glad you heard it, that Christian broadcast is taking place in your community. So contact your local Christian radio station. Tell them you're thankful they do what they do. I also want to encourage you to go visit our website. Our website is outlawradio.org. On the site, you can easily access our podcast that's available on iTunes as well as Google Play. You can listen again to this episode in its entirety about the lukewarm church. You can listen to all previous episodes. Finally, let's connect. Twitter at Radio underscore Outlaw. Send me an email at info at outlawradio.org or follow us via facebook.com slash the Radio Outlaw. Again, my name is Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you. If you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.